power back. Amen. <laughs> Not going to change being a southerner just now that I'm preaching to the Yankees. Amen. But uh, glad to be back in the south. Always enjoy coming back down here and fanning the gnats out of my face. Amen. <clears throat> Matthew chapter number four is where I'll be taking our text today. Matthew chapter number four. I have enjoyed the preaching. I've really gotten what I've needed since I've been here, and I thank the Lord for that. Can I have a couple of song books? Here's some right here. I got some right here. Check it out. So. Okay. Heard about a fellow not too long ago that was uh, raising a young family, and uh, he's working at a local gas station, not making very good money. And uh, some of the folks in the community knew him, knew his family from the past, and uh, wanted him to do better for himself. Particularly, one lady and man came through the gas station one day, old, old-fashioned, full-service kind of gas station, and he was cleaning their windshield and. And the lady leaned out the window and said, you ought to do something better with your life. You don't have to work at a gas station all your life. You, you go further. You've got a good mind and you've got this family and you ought to try to do better for yourself. And he said, well, ma'am, to be honest with you, I'd love to, but I don't have time to go to college or anything like that. I'm busy with this work here at the station. And uh, she said, well, ask your boss. I know him. He's a good-hearted man. Go in there and ask him. Sure enough, he went in there and he asked his boss, do you mind if I start taking some classes to do better with my life? And uh, he said, sure you can, as long as it doesn't interfere with your work here at the station. And so he went down to the local vocational college, and, and uh, the uh, dean of the college said, well, we only have one class that we can offer you that would uh, fit into your schedule. It's called human reasoning. Well, that country bumpkin boy had no idea what human reasoning was all about, you know. And he said, I'd like to take that. He said, you come on Monday night, and we'll be starting that class. And so he went. And he sat at the feet of that professor, and the professor said, let me tell you about human reasoning. He said, let me ask you a question. Do you own a weed eater? And the young man said, I do own a weed eater, in fact. And he said, well, if you've got a weed eater, then I suppose through reasoning that you also have a yard. And he said, you know what? I do have a yard. And he said, well, I suppose that if you have a yard, then you also have a house. And he said, unto God, this man is a genius. I do have a house. And he said, well, I assume that if you have a house, then you probably have a wife. And he said, I, I got a wife. And he said, well, if you've got a wife, you probably already have children. And he said, I do have children. He said, all of that reasoning leads me to believe that you are a heterosexual. And he said, well, by golly, I surely am. <laughs> He was amazed, and he went back to work the next day, and the boss man said to him, did you learn anything in class? He said, boss, I'm not gonna, you're not going to believe the things I learned in class last night. I learned about human reasoning. And the boss man said, I never heard of that in my life. And he said, tell me about it. He said, well, boss man, let me ask you something. Do you own a weed eater? And the boss man said, no, I don't. He said, you're a queer. I told that because this may be the last time I get to preach at Bible Baptist Church. Amen. Is Brother Baloo here? Okay, he's not here. Good. Okay, all right. He told me never to say queer in the pulpit. I've been studying the Gospels for a while and uh, 
there's a theme that continues to rise in the life of Jesus that I've been really overtaken with. I'm really overwhelmed with the theme. And I want to bring the thought of this theme that is uh, throughout the Gospels to your attention from chapter 4, verse number 1 through verse number 4. I hope that you'll read there with me and we'll draw that theme out of the text and we'll follow it through the life of Jesus for a little while this afternoon. Then was Jesus led up of the Spirit into the wilderness to be tempted of the devil. And when he had fasted forty days and forty nights, he was afterward and hungered. And when the tempter came to him, he said, If thou be the Son of God, command that these stones be made bread. I want you to look at verse 4. But he answered and said, It is written, Man shall not live by bread alone, but by every word that proceedeth out of the mouth of God. Jesus had an appetite. According to verse number 2 of this text, the Bible said that after 40 days of fasting, he was afterward and hungered. Satan approached him at the moment of his greatest weakness to tempt him in terms of a developing appetite. I'm amazed over and over and over again how much Jesus spoke of his appetite in the Gospels. Uh, we find in Matthew, I should say in John chapter 4, verse number 31 through verse number 34, the disciples approaching Jesus when he was hungry. And the Bible said in that text, in the meanwhile, his disciples prayed him saying, Master, eat. You remember how Jesus responded? But he said unto them, I have meat to eat that you know not of. It's an amazing statement. And in Matthew chapter number 4, this is all about temptation. In fact, in verse number 1 and in verse number 2, the Bible said, when the tempter came. And in terms of the satisfaction of Jesus' appetite, Satan did his dead level best. And I can tell you that this is temptation in its highest, most potent form. He tempted Jesus in terms of his hunger, in terms of fulfillment, in terms of what he was hungry to be fulfilled with. Jesus could have yielded to that temptation satanically or scripturally. And the Bible says to us that he chose scripturally. In verse number 4, he answered and said, It is written, Man shall not live by bread alone, but by every word that proceedeth out of the mouth of God. Many, many years ago, early in my Christian life, after I was saved, I was introduced to Brother Allen. It was soon after that that I enrolled in Bible college, of which I made friends of just about everybody on this stage that is with me today. And I'll never forget Sunday after Sunday, Brother Allen standing up and saying, What are you hungry for? What is it that you desire? Are you hungry for the things of God? I remember one night Fane Jordan preaching on a Wednesday night at uh, Concord Baptist Church, and I'll never forget him saying this. He said, I got saved when I realized that I was dead, and I wanted to be alive more than anything else in this world. And then he said, I got full of the Holy Ghost when I realized that I was alive. And I wanted to be dead more than anything else in this world. Yes, sir. What you are full of will direct your life. Everybody is full of somebody. You can't be full of yourself and full of the Holy Spirit. 
You can't be filled with your own desires without emptying that to be filled with the desires that God has for your life. Everybody is full of something. And spiritually speaking, your appetite spiritually can be the determination of your direction. What you're hungry for. What you desire. Even in eternity, Jesus brought up the subject of what men are hungry for. You remember in Luke chapter number 16, there are two men that have passed into eternity. In verse number 19 through verse number 21, we read these words. There was a certain man which was clothed in purple and fine linen, and he fared sumptuously every day. But then there was a beggar on the other side of the gulf, and the Bible said in verse number 21, that beggar desiring to be, clo- to, that desiring to be fed with the crumbs which fell from the rich man's table, moreover the dogs came and licked his sores. We often find Jesus speaking in parables concerning what people are hungry for. In fact, it was the business of our Lord to feed people when they were hungry. And once He fed them, He would often stand and say, If you will partake of this bread, you'll never be hungry again. If you'll drink of this water, you'll never be thirsty again. And it was Jesus that taught us in Matthew 5 and verse number 6, Blessed are they which do hunger and thirst after righteousness, for they shall be filled. I wonder what we're hungry for in the church in this generation. We often read of the words of our Lord and see His miracles performed in terms of what brought people their greatest satisfaction. And then over and over and over again in other places in the Bible, we find men and women that were satisfied satanically instead of scripturally. I think of Samson. I think of the life of a man that ended after 20 years of judging Israel way too early. I'm thinking of Samson in terms of the sensual desires that he, uh, that he aggressed, of the sensual desires that he forwarded throughout his life. In fact, if you took the relationship that Samson had with three women out of the Bible, you would reduce the story of his life down to only two verses. He could not turn off his appetite for unholy women. He could not turn off his appetite for that which was forbidden. He could not turn off his appetite for even the things in his youth. He was taught by his parents, don't touch those things, don't go into those areas, don't allow those appetites to produce in your life what will fulfill your flesh. The first sin that was ever committed was because of a flawed appetite. The first sin that awakened in all of us Flawed appetites was a woman that ate something she was not supposed to eat. The lust of the flesh and the lust of the eyes and the pride of life has never changed. Adam and Eve were tempted through the lust of the flesh, the lust of the eyes, and the pride of life. Jesus was tempted in this chapter. You know I didn't read all the story. Through the lust of the flesh, the lust of the eyes, and the pride of life. And none of us can escape an appetite to satisfy ourselves in those three areas. It's no wonder that the first approach in temptation that we find with Jesus from verse number 1 through verse number 4 was on the level of his appetite. And he refused, I don't believe he could have sinned, but he refused that satanic approach. He refused that satanic appetite. And he actually said, man shall not live by bread alone, but by every word that proceedeth out of the mouth of God. 
And that is a very powerful truth indeed when you consider that this temptation was not just a matter of authority, it was also a matter of prophecy. I think you're familiar with the words of Isaiah chapter 7 verse 14 where it prophesied, Therefore, the Lord Himself shall give you a sign. Behold, a virgin shall conceive and bear a son, and thou shalt call his name Emmanuel. We're familiar with that verse, but what about verse 15? The same prophecy. Butter and honey shall he eat, that he may know to refuse the evil and choose the good. Amen. The life of Christ was foreordained to be a holy life. And in prophecy, the prophet Isaiah said, He will refuse that which is evil and eat that which is good. It comes down to what you choose to be consumed with. Your appetites. Your appetites. In fact, you'll find that Jesus started His ministry hungry. Here in chapter number 4, the beginning of our Lord's ministry, He was a hungry man. And the Bible tells us in, in, Matthew, chapter number, in, in uh, Matthew chapter number 22, I believe it is, that Jesus is on the cross and He is thirsty. Chapter 27, He is on the cross and He is thirsty. And so He begins hungry. He ends thirsty as He says, I thirst on the cross. And He says to us that all who hunger, all who thirst will be filled with righteousness. In Job 23 and verse number 12, Job said, I have esteemed the words of his mouth more than my necessary food. The power of an appetite is an amazing thing. The very first sin committed in Genesis chapter 2 and verse number 9, they were given liberty to eat of any tree of the garden freely. In fact, it said, Out of the ground God made the Lord God made to grow every tree that is pleasant to the sight and good for food, except for one forbidden partaking. And it was that one forbidden fruit that cast mankind into all of our flawed desires. That's right. Listen, I'm talking about temptation. I'm talking about desires. I'm talking about an appetite for that which is unrighteous. You know as well as I do that we all struggle in this area to say no to ourselves when the flesh is screaming yes. To say no to our desires when Satan feeds into our hearts. It was Satan that placed into the heart of Ananias and Sapphira to lie to the Holy Ghost. And he feeds into the hearts of all of us. Appetites that are forbidden. The Bible has a great deal to say about spiritual appetites. The Bible said in Hebrews chapter 5, verse number 12 through verse number 14, For when the time ye ought to be teachers, ye have need to be uh, that one teach you again, which be the first principles of the oracles of God, and are become as such that have need of milk, not strong meat. He says to us in verse number 13 of that same chapter, For every one that useth milk is unskillful in the word of righteousness, for he is a babe. But strong meat belongeth to them that are of full age, even those who by reason of use have their senses exercised to discern both good and evil. Appetites can be so simple in the church that they actually can dull your discernment. They can dull your perception between what is good and what is bad. 
You show me a person that will eat anything and I'll show you a person that is unhealthy spiritually. Right, right. And we live in that generation in the church where the church will absorb anything that is being said on the radio, anything that is being said on the television. There's no exercising of our senses to discern between what is good and what is evil. What is your appetite for? What are you hungry for? Where do you find your fulfillment? 1 Peter chapter 2, verse number 2 through verse number 3, the Bible said, As newborn babes desire the sincere milk of the Word, that they may grow thereby. If so be, I love this preacher, if so be that ye have tasted that the Lord is good. Tasted that the Lord is good. Primary to our thoughts about that, we could go back to Matthew 5 and verse number 6 where Jesus said, Blessed are they which do hunger and thirst after righteousness, for they shall be filled. I was reading on that text the other day and I came across the words of one of the early leaders of the Plymouth Brethren. His name was J.N. Darby. It was J.N. Darby that said, To be hungry is not enough. I must be starving to know what is God's heart and will toward me. He went on to say in that same statement, When the prodigal son was hungry, he went to eat with the pigs. But when he was starving, he went to the father's house. I'm going to tell you the problem in there. I know I may make some enemies out of this crowd. But I'm going to tell you the problem in this generation. It's not poison in the pulpit. It's apple pie. We are so full of carnality in the church. You know why you can't get full of God? Because you're full of yourself. And we have produced these preachers in this generation that are nothing more than than yes men for entire congregations to pat egos and rub egos and make churches feel better and better about themselves. There's no iron sharpening iron in this generation. There's no open rebuke in this generation. Let me ask you, what are you hungry for? Picked up some books the other day and I began to read on the subject of hunger. According to biologists, the hunger phenomenon, the appetite phenomenon is primarily connected to three facets of man's awareness. Number one, I thought this was so interesting. Number one, you'll get hungry when you experience a depletion of nutrients. A depletion of nutrients. God has so created our bodies, and uh, you listen, you're probably getting hungry right now to go sit down at the dinner table, and so you know what I'm talking about when your nutrients become depleted, and God, how God has so created us that when our body becomes hungry, we interpret that into our minds as an appetite. In other words, what the body has been depleted of causes a hunger for food. What the body needs, we begin to crave. Amen. I can't understand how one service a week is enough for any believer. I can't understand how closing your Bible on Sunday night and not opening up again until next Sunday morning is ever enough. 
I don't even study to get messages. The messages come out of my study. I study to find out more about the God I serve and produce out of that are sermons for the church where I preach and messages for the people that I feed where I'm to feed the flock of God. If you've got a man of God that feeds you faithfully, you ought to express that hunger with faithfulness to come and sit at the feet of a preacher that's giving you sustenance of which you stand in great need of. Depletion of nutrients. Then secondly, I found in this, uh, in this uh, Cannon and Washburn handbook, medical handbook written in 1912, by the way, that the digestive tract will tell you when you're hungry. You ever been sitting by somebody in church and you can tell they're hungry? <laughs> I was sitting, beside, uh, I was sitting behind uh, a preacher last night and his, 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 his belly started grumbling and mumbling. It sounded like Sweet Home Alabama playing in there. <laughs> It was Steve Goolsby. <laughs> your digestive tract will tell you when you're hungry. But then there's another one. Doctors have concluded that much of our appetite is in, uh, set in motion by depletion of nutrients in the digestive tract, but then there's also the brain. The brain. Brother, I'll tell you, it's an amazing thing. I've, I've, I've driven by billboards, and I'm not even hungry. Yeah. When I see that Outback sign, buddy, there's something inside of me that just wants me to go get a blooming onion. And there are times when I've been so busy in the ministry, as all of you have, that I have forgotten to eat. And then I'll be driving down the road, and I see a billboard somewhere, and I realize I haven't eaten yet. Yeah. I pastored a woman down in South Georgia that... Um, she got sick with cancer. My, my dad has had cancer as well. I don't know my dad very well. He had a lot of his intestines, a lot of his stomach cut out with cancer. And I pastored a woman down in Georgia that had 95% of her stomach cut out because of cancer. 95%. And I asked her one day, I said, I asked her one day, I said, uh, do you still get hungry? She said, preacher, every time I see a sign, I get just as hungry as what I, and, and her stomach's gone. It's in your head. Yeah. And that's the manner and means of advertisement in this generation. Right, right, that's right. You don't need, the advertisement wants us to believe you can have a bigger house. You can have a better truck. You can get rid of your Chevrolet and get a Ford and get a better truck, amen. (laughs) Buy our brand of beer. Come to our theme park. Come to this place for your satisfaction. Buy our product because it will satisfy you even greater. And so our brain is always in operation and we think about things that make us hungry. And I'm telling you, if you knew, if we could drop this screen this afternoon and just put on that screen what people have been thinking about in this afternoon service, you'd be ashamed. We'd all have to close our Bibles and walk out of this place with shame with what is on that screen. Appetites. Appetites. Men fall in the ministry because they cannot control their appetite for things that are forbidden. People leave churches by the dozens at a time because someone cannot control what is in their appetite. The appetite for that which is forbidden. And it is always that which which is forbidden that Satan dangles in front of us. Can't find anywhere in the Old Testament where it was forbidden to change a stone into bread. I can't find anywhere in the New Testament where it would have been sinful for Jesus to have changed that stone in the bread. It wasn't about changing the stone in the bread. It was about satisfying himself with something that was offered him by Satan. Right. Right. 
What does the Bible say about it? The Bible indicates to us in Isaiah chapter 55 and verse number 1 that there is a subconscious hunger that exists in every one of us. Ho, let everyone that thirsteth come ye to the waters, that he may he that hath no money come ye and buy and eat. Yea, come, buy wine and milk without money and without price. Who is that written to? It's not the church. It's not just Israel. He said it is everyone that is hungry. It is everyone that is thirsty that may come. And Christ said to the world, I am the bread of life. If you eat of me, you'll never be hungry again. He said, I am the living water. And if you consume this water, water it becomes part of you and out of your belly for the rest of your life flows rivers of living water do you find your satisfaction in Jesus or do you find your satisfaction in what Satan has to offer there's an unconscious hunger that's awakened in all of us and we all understand it every one of us that are in this building today saved by the grace of God can take you back to a time when we didn't know the answer for our hunger we had no idea what it would take to fulfill us then some gospel preacher or some church well I'll never forget that day they came knocked on my door and they said we'll pay your way to youth camp and at 17 years old I went to youth camp I was looking for more friends and a girlfriend and on Tuesday morning Phil Kidd got in the pulpit and preached the gospel I gave my heart to Jesus I've never been unsatisfied with Jesus. He's been everything and much, much more than He promised me that He would be. He fulfilled my deepest desires. Deep in your heart and in your spirit, there's a hunger that only Jesus can satisfy. Are you lonely? Are you unsatisfied? Do you find no gratification in the sins of your life? Come to Jesus. He can give you everything that you want. I hope if you're here today and you're lost, you'll realize the same. You're hungry today for more than what fish and bread can give. You're hungry for more than what a a bottle can offer you. You, You're hungry for what you'll never find at the bottom of a pill bottle. You're hungry for Jesus. And whether you know it or not, Jesus is the answer to man's greatest need. And the only thing that will satisfy you in the deepest part of your soul is Christ and Christ alone. It's a great blessing when food and appetite happens at the same time. And about 22 years ago, I was hungry for Jesus. And he said, if you'll come, you'll never be hungry again. And I found him. John 7 and verse 37 through 38, the Bible said, In the last day, that great day of the feast, Jesus stood and cried, saying, If any man thirsts, let him come unto me and drink. And he that believeth on me, as the Scripture hath said, out of his belly shall flow rivers of living water. I remember several years ago, I was... uh, I was contacted by a friend of mine down in Albany, Georgia. He had been playing golf with a couple of his preacher friends, and there was a fellow that joined them on the course. There were three preachers and one sinner. This guy came to them on the first tee and said, I'd like to make your threesome a foursome. Can I join you? And he did. And as they began to play and go through the course about the third hole, this man turned to these three preachers and said, I just need to share some things with you. And and, uh, he, uh, he said, my wife left me three months ago. She found out that I'd been involved with a friend of mine on Facebook in an emotional relationship for some time, and she left me. She took my children, and I want you to help me pray about that. And on the third hole of the golf course, they they bowed together and they prayed. About three holes later on the sixth hole of the golf course, this man stopped them again, and he said, "I, I want to tell you that I've been trying to stop smoking, and I can't stop smoking. And can you three preachers pray for me today and pray that God will help me stop smoking? And they prayed with him again on the sixth hole. 
About the ninth hole or the tenth hole, he stopped them again and said, I'm hooked on pornography and I've got some, I've got some real bad desires and I see things on that screen and I act them out in my mind and I want you to pray with me. And they stopped and they prayed again. And the seventeenth hole, they stopped and they prayed again. But on the eighteenth hole, those preachers said to him, what you need is not to quit smoking. What you need is not to quit the pornography. What you need is not to get your wife and family back. What you need is Jesus. And he got, he met Jesus on the 18th hole of a golf course. Amen. And all of those other things started coming together in his life when he met the Lord. That's what we need to give this world. The world needs Jesus more than they need everything else. If we feed them with earthly food and we do not give them the bread of life, we have failed. Yes. We have failed. Amen. Several weeks ago, we were we were in church, and I, I, I don't know, try not to fill my message with a bunch of stories. But several weeks ago, we were in church, and I don't know, there was just a bunch. We were remodeling our auditorium. I was amazed we had any visitors that day. But there was a woman. I walked in there. You could tell she wasn't a church lady. She was about halfway back into the auditorium, and I walked over and I shook her hand. Her name was Lizzie Lizzie Phillips. And I said, Lizzie, I'm glad to have you today. And she said, I'm from the state of Tennessee. And I said, you didn't have to tell me you were from the state of Tennessee. I knew you were from Tennessee. Because she said, how are you doing? And I started talking to her. And more and more I talked to her, the more and more I realized that she was lost. We talked a little bit about her life and stood there, and I thought she was going to get saved before church even started. We talked a little bit, a little bit about her life, and she called me back again after I'd walked away from her. Called me back and said, I really miss my mom and dad. I hadn't talked to them in 25 years, and I've got two kids that I can't even go see anymore. And I go from house to house to house because of a drug problem that I have. And that morning I preached on things that are never, never going to be changed by the economy. The wages of sin will never change. The price of redemption will never change. And the value of a man's soul will never change. The economy, listen, the economy may fluctuate, but those three things will never change. And I said, I said at the end of the invitation, if you know you lost, throw your hand up. And she threw both hands up in the air. One of our deacon's wives tapped her on the shoulder. She came down the middle aisle and all of that stuff we had been talking about during the service didn't even come up in the altar. She said, I realize now what I've needed, what I've been hungry for all of my life. I realize what you've been talking about. I need Jesus. And she gave her heart to the Lord. She's been coming to church ever since. I'm telling you, that's what the world must have. They must have Jesus. We give them bread if we take them where they need to be. But if we do not give them Christ, we have failed. And inside of every man, there's a subconscious hunger. Number two, inside of every man, there's a sinful hunger. A sinful hunger. This is where we have to be careful because the devil knows how to bait us. This is where we have to be careful as believers because the devil knows exactly what tantalizes us. He knows where to fish around. I, I'm not much of a uh, fisherman. I, I like to go when I'm invited. As a matter of fact, I guess about every preacher lives that kind of life. You go fishing when you're invited to go. You go hunting when you're invited to go. You go golfing when you're invited to go. And this fellow invited me to go fishing one time. And, and now he was a fisherman. He had this uh, $20,000 boat. Um, you, you open up one of the cabinets on the boat over here, and I'm not talking about little Zebco 33s down there. I'm talking about $350 rod and reels, $400. You open it up over here, and there's even more on this side, and every one of them had a different lure on that. We went to this pond, got out in this pond with the boat, and uh, we, started casting, we started casting plugs into the water, and I would, I would reel for a while and not get a bite. 
And I'd take that and I'd, I'd put that down. I'd pick up another one and I'd, pl- I'd run that through the water on the top or on the bottom. And I'd not get a bite. And I'd put that down and pick up another one. And I'd, run, and I'd get a couple of bites on that one. And if I didn't get a catch on that, I'd, pick that, I'd, I'd put that down and pick another one up. And then I started pulling in fish. I found what they liked. And that's exactly how the devil will do us. He may throw five or six things out in front of you before he gets you to bite on something. But when he finally starts getting you to bite, he'll take note of the time of day, just like I did that day. He'll take note of the time of day. He'll take note of the location. He'll take note of the color of the lure that he used. He'll He'll take note of everything that he used to get you to bite that day. And the devil knows how to awaken hunger in us. Sinful appetites. Paul said this in 1 Corinthians 10.21, Ye cannot drink the cup of the Lord and the cup of devils. Ye cannot be partaker of the Lord's table and the table of devils. Here's one for you. Proverbs 26 and verse number 11. Here's an appetite for you. Listen to this, preacher. But it has happened unto them according to the true proverb, the dog is turned again to his own vomit. What kind of appetite would cause someone to do that? That which makes us sick, that which nauseates us. You've seen those dogs, they vomit that that filth out and then they go right back to it and lap it up again. He said sinners are just like that. They'll go back to that which made them sick the very night before and lap it up over and over and over again. We call that regurgitation in dogs. We call it relapse in sinners. Matthew Henry said, As the dog, after he has gained ease by vomiting that which is burning burning and burdened in his stomach, yet goes to lick it again and again, so sinners who have been convinced and convicted only and not converted return to the same sin, forgetting how sick it has made them over and over and over again. Appetites. Here's one. Galatians chapter 5, verse number 15 gave us this warning. If you bite and devour one another, take, take heed that you be not consumed one of another. Yeah. Some people are hungry to eat other church members. That's right. That's, That's, right. Amen. That's it. Can't control our mouths. Yeah. That's an evil appetite. Amen. Yes, sir. Preach on. That is a terrible way to live your life. That's a horrible way to go about your business. And that's a really terrible way to build your ministry. Yes. I'm going to tell you something, neighbor. You always reap what you sow. Amen. You better be careful about the things you allow to be heard, and you better be careful about repeating things that you have heard. Yes. Especially if you got it off of Facebook. That's right. You listening to me? Take heed that you do not consume one another. Yes. And then there is the spiritual craving. Just like we must feed our physical bodies to stay alive, we must feed our spirits. We must be fed. And as we feed on the Word of God, we are satisfied. Men have, been, men have been so luxuriously fed in this generation. I'm afraid that we're so full of the world. No wonder people are not interested in being fed at church. We're in a battle against the television. People are finding satisfaction at home sitting on a couch watching a television. Amen. Amen. I cannot imagine staying home on a Sunday to watch a football game. What are you hungry for? 
What is it that you are satisfying yourself with? Boy, it's getting quiet in here. Thousands and thousands and thousands of people go to a NASCAR race on Sunday instead of going to the house of God. It's hell. Psalm 78 and verse number 18 said, They tempted God in their hearts by asking meat for their lusts. We developed that kind of spirit in the church. Proverbs 27 and verse number 7 said, The full soul loatheth in honeycomb, but the hungry soul, to the hungry soul, every bitter thing is sweet. Boy, I remember those days. I'm telling you, I'm, Brother John, I remember those days, and I've sat in church with you many, many times when a preacher I'm talking about was plowing with a big plow, and it never bothered me, not one time. It didn't matter what the preacher preached on, it didn't bother me. You know why? Because a hungry soul is hungry for anything that you give to us. In the first chapter of that great book, I was sold this by Brother Allen several years ago, A.W. Tozer said in the... Uh, in a prayer in the pursuit of God in the first chapter, O oh God, I have tasted thy goodness, and it hath both satisfied me and made me thirsty again. I am painfully conscious of my need of thee. I am ashamed of my lack of desire for thee. I want to want thee. I long to be filled with your longings. I hunger to be hungry with your hunger. I thirst to be made more thirsty still. David said, As the heart panteth after the water brook, so panteth my soul. After thee, O oh God, what are you hungry for? Amen. I want you to stand with us as the preacher comes for the invitation.